Good evening. My name is Anthony Stander and I pastor a church called Living Waters Community Fellowship in Cape Town in Tableview and at Lilliput on Sundays at 10 o'clock. If you've got nowhere to go, please join us. Tonight I'd like to share with you a little bit about spiritual warfare. It's not taught on a lot anymore and I think Christians are really struggling in this area of their life. And my message tonight is called The Art of War. And our scripture reading is Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. War is a terrible reality in all our generations. All of us have experienced war or seen war across the world. The world is torn apart by conflict. Echoing the words of Plato about 350 years before Christ, he said, only the dead know no war. I think of what I've seen in my life being born in 1961, the Vietnam War, our own domestic war on our borders against communist Russian Cuban-supported guerrillas, 9-11, Afghanistan War, Kuwait War, Iranian War, attacks on Israel including the Six-Day War, and so many smaller conflicts that we cannot count. We've even lived as children through the Cold War between the West and Russia with the threat of nuclear war constantly around us. I remember when I was growing up, young people used to commit suicide in the universities because they felt that there was no hope that there was going to be a nuclear war and everything was going to be destroyed. In our Christian faith, we cannot escape warfare, but we are taught that our enemies are not flesh and blood and we are commanded in Ephesians 6.11 to 13, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the ways of the devil. We are not given armor so that we can go and sit and watch TV with. We're not given a sword and shields so that we can stay out of the battle. We are given armor to be able to stand against the ways or the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We fight a far more dangerous and terrible enemy than than the early believers did in the Old Testament. Demons, evil angelic beings, and whatever else serves the purposes of the devil. These are the spiritual beings causing man and helping man to kill and maim one another, and whose only objective is to steal and kill and destroy the humans made in the image of God. You and I are called by God to take a spiritual stand against hell's legions and to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ and fight using spiritual weapons against hell's soldiers. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm sure Paul was watching the Roman soldiers doing the training when he was in Rome and, and, and watching how they marched and formed testudo tortoise and how they were able to lock shields together and he, and he likened that to a spiritual our spiritual weapons. You therefore must endure hardship, uh, 2 Timothy 2.3, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We return to our text. 
Now Amalek, uh, Exodus 17, 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Amalek was a tribe from the line of Esau who hated anything to do with Israel. They were cruel and dark. They were the devil's champions of the time and were the first people to attack Israel when they had just come out from slavery. God was so angry that he commanded two mitzvahs or commandments against Amalek to never forget the evil deeds of the Amalekites and to obliterate the entire nation. This would be carried out by Israel over a couple of generations. So Amalek, or the devils, came to fight with Israel. But consider why this had happened. The people had been quarreling with Moses just before this in Exodus 17 verse 2. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? So now the Lord allowed Amalek to contend with them as they had contended with God. Exodus 17.19 And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. See how God qualifies his people. Joshua fights, Moses prays, and both minister to Israel. Moses climbs to the top of the hill so all Israel could see him. He holds the rod used by him to command the Red Sea to open. He gives hope to an untrained army that did not know battle, that God was again with them and would show favor and miracles if they put their trust in him. Moses was not only a standard bearer but an intercessor pleading with God for victory. Exodus 17, 10-12 So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. As they engaged in combat, Moses prayed for his army with outstretched arms as he did before the Red Sea. Moses was providing prayer and praise cover for his people. While his arms were raised, the Israeli soldiers prevailed. But as Moses weakened, the battle shifted. The raisings of hands is a common posture for prayer, but an uplifted arm can only be raised so long. So Aaron and Hur stood beside Moses and kept his arms raised up. Aaron and Hur were Moses' top leaders, his right-hand men. They were given authority to act in his stead during times of absence. Aaron was Moses' brother and according to tradition, the Midrash, Hur was Moses' brother-in-law, Miriam's husband. Hur's grandson was one of the builders of the tabernacle. These two men were enabling Moses' intercession. Aaron's name means strength. Hers means liberty. They enabled Moses to maintain vigil on behalf of the army. Moses stood over the battlefield with his wooden staff in his hand and his command staff at his side. His prayerful presence aided the morale of the troops. Moses needed encouragement because his own people were complaining and criticizing him. He faced an uphill battle with his stiff-necked people and they had found out how dangerous it was to oppose their leader. His intercession made the difference in battle. 
It wasn't the strength of their army that was critical, but the power of prayer. The defeat of the Amalekites was a redemptive event. It's significant that Moses prayed with his wooden staff, which played an important function in the ten plagues against Egypt. God, through Moses, delivered his people. The hilltop overlooking the battlefield was where the battle was truly won. You first win the battles in the heavenlies and then on earth. A group of infantry soldiers were going through airborne school at Fort Benning, Georgia. As they prepared for their first jump, the jump master explained that when the green light went on, everyone would stand up, hook up and jump out. Count to four and the chutes would open. If that failed, they had an emergency backup chute. Then after they landed, a bus would take everyone back to the main post. One soldier jumped from the aircraft, but nothing happened. He tried to open up his back parachute. Nothing happened. And as he was headed downward, he thought, great, I bet the bus won't be there to pick us up either. So we all need support, and hopefully we as Christians are getting it from one another. We all need support. You need support against the Amalekites in our lives. We are attacked by depression, sickness, hopelessness, financial problems, and many other ailments. You may be a type of Moses where if you keep your hand up in worship and prayer, the angels of God, represented by Joshua, win the battles against the devils in our lives. When we grow tired and weak, then Aaron, the high priest who represents the church, and her, who represents the average guy in the church, comes to your side and helps you hold up your arms so that God may give the victory. It works the same for church leaders. For without your prayer cover and support, they will also fall or be hindered in the work of God. Many years ago, Bishop McConnell told a story of something that happened in a little fishing village on the New England coast. One winter's day, a storm came up suddenly while the boats were out at sea. The men rowed desperately to reach the safety of the harbour. Everybody made it except one old man named John. He had almost reached the mouth of the harbour when a great wave came along and dashed his tiny boat up against a rock. He managed to pull himself up on a tiny ledge and hang on there for dear life. His friends saw what happened. There wasn't anything they could do about it. It was growing dark and the seas were high and all they could do was wait. They built a bonfire on the shore and kept it burning all night. Every once in a while someone would throw his cap up in the air hoping the old man would see it. At last, dawn began to break and the winds began to die down. They put out their boats and were able to get close enough so they could bring him safely back to shore. When the old man had been warmed by the fire and been given something to eat, they asked what it was like out there. Well, he said, it was the longest night of my life. I made out pretty well at first, but then a big wave came along and flattened me out and I felt myself slipping. I was worn out. I was ready to give up. My old father went down at sea, and I decided my time had come. But just as I was getting ready to let go, I looked through the darkness and saw somebody's cap going up in the air. I said to myself, if there's somebody who cares enough about old John to stay out on a night like this, I guess I'm not going to quit yet. And just then the winds seemed to ease up and I got a fresh hold, and well, here I am. That's the picture. Connect that picture with Aaron and her holding up the hands of Moses and know that that's a picture being connected with the Lord's people struggling at the foot of the mount, struggling in the sea of life. 
Psalm 33, 16 to 18 says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are those who fear him and on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote, The strongest battalions melt like snowflakes when God is against them. Exodus 17.13 So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We cannot try to fight this battle in the flesh without God that all these battles we face every single day. We need to do it God's way and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon had a college for young preachers. On one occasion, a young man, highly gifted, preached a masterful sermon on the Christian's armor, listed in Ephesians 6. He put the armor on with great oratory, piece by piece, until he was fully dressed from head to toe. He paused and looked at the congregation, including Spurgeon drew his imaginary sword and said, Now, where is the enemy? And he paused again for special effect. Spurgeon leaned forward from the front row, cupped his hands over his mouth and whispered, He's inside the armor. (laughs) We all know the truth of this. Pride, full of pride, the enemy was the man himself. We are like the little girl. A little brother cried out to their mother, Susie kicked me, pulled my hair and spit on me. And the mother said, Susie, why did you listen to the devil and do all this? Susie said, the devil told me to kick him and pull his hair, but spitting on him was my idea. So we as Christians need to learn to fight with spiritual weapons. So we have a battle plan. The battle plan we follow. Number one. We fight from our closets. Victory in our battles is to live lives that please God and to help others and to help others comes first and have faith in God that expresses itself in prayer. The Bible says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And when Paul finished describing the pieces of our army in warfare with the strategies of Satan, he said, Above all things, pray. Joshua was sent to fight the enemy, but he lost the battles. Moses went up on his on a hill to lift up his arms in prayer, and as long as they were up, Israel won. When Moses could not hold them up any longer, Aaron and Hur came to help him. This was an act of faith. Charles Simeon says, The success of the Israelites here depended not on the bravery of the soldiers or the skill of their commander, but on the holding up the hands of Moses far away from the field of battle. We have here the secret of victory, the power of prayer, and the help of friends. Israel learned here what we must learn. If it is not enough, the real victory is not found on the battlefield, but in the closet where we pray for God to bless our efforts. Spurgeon says we do not read that Joshua grew tired in the fighting, but that Moses grew tired by lifting up the rod, praying. The more spiritual our duties, he says, the more Satan hinders and wears us. He said self 
which is another name for the sinful nature with its pride, loves the battlefield where everyone watches to see how strong we are. Self hates the private closet where we tell God how weak and wicked we are. A Sunday school teacher can work hard, prepare a masterful lesson and get many compliments. But for that lesson to truly change lives, that teacher must spend time in praying for God's blessing. Maybe that's why we have so many powerless classes and pulpits. We work hard, but don't pray enough. Number two, the second part of our battle plan. We fight for God's causes. At the site of this first victory, Moses built an altar and named it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. The banner or flag made an army identifiable. These were God's people, God's army, fighting God's battles. Too much of our so-called fighting, service and effort is really for ourselves. We show off our piety with our witnessing, church attendance and attacks on the ways of the world. The list is endless. The question is, do we do what we do for ourselves or for the Lord? The Bible says, whatever you do, do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need radical Christians sold out for Christ. You know that we, we don't have any truck with the world. We're radical and dangerous to the enemy. That's how what we need to raise up Christians. We're so easily teaching Christians to live for Christ, but not to die for him. And we need to die to the world and the things of the world and to live for Christ in every other way and to be radical, incorruptible Christians. Three, the third part of our battle plan. We fight beside our comrades. One, people in the world. Moses did not allow Moses to fight alone. He did not lift up his rod for God to make the earth swallow up the Amalekites. God wanted to show how his church's victory and his mighty miracles would come through ordinary men and women who are willing to pray and fight. Moses was not alone. For the first time we see Joshua, the friend, co-worker and successor of Moses. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hands. In verse 17, verse 9. And when Moses went up the hill, he did not go alone. He took his brother Aaron and a man named Hur, who, like Joshua, is senior for the first time. When Moses' arms grew tired and they stepped in, they gave Moses a rock to sit on, and each one held up an arm until the battle was won. God does not ask us to fight alone. That's why we have the church. The first thing after conversion, coming into Christ, is baptism, coming into the church. The people there are brothers and sisters, our friends, partners, and fellow soldiers. We have old warriors in the church who've been fighting the devil 30, 40 years. Then they've stood. Their marriages are secure. We have people that have been married for, for 30, 40 years that have, have withstood every attack of Satan against them. And they can help you and guide you and lead you and tell you how to stand when everything seems lost. We need people around us as examples, encouragers, and instructors. We find this in the church. Jesus had the twelve. Peter had James and John, Paul had Barnabas and Timothy, and we today have each other. The first words in the prayer Jesus gave us to pray are, Our Father, when you are told you have leukemia, when your teenager turns to drugs, when your husband tells you he loves somebody else, you, my friend, if you are in the church, you are not alone. When you lift your tears and troubles to heaven and say, Our Father, 
You know that all across the world are Christians like you are praying the same prayer and facing the same battle. Paul says these wilderness scenes are an example and a warning for us. And he also says our temptations and trials are common to man. People in the Word of God. Wearing God's armor, our sword is the Word of God. We have a lot of firsts here. The first battle waged by the church, the first mention of Joshua and of her, and the first time the Bible mentions the Bible. Moses, skilled in all the wisdom of Egypt, was told, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. In uh, chapter 17, verse 14. Paul said the story of the wilderness gives us examples and warnings, 1 Corinthians 10. We find this from Genesis to Malachi and now from Matthew to Revelation. You are depressed over God not helping you and seemingly ask too much of you and you feel you are all alone in this. Then in your Bible reading, you will find Jeremiah feeling the same way, telling God he is like a branch with no water. You want to question God but feel it is wrong and you find Job bombarding heaven with questions on top of questions. You struggle against so much evil within you that you know you doubt your salvation. In Bible reading you find Paul in Romans 7 saying, I do the things I hate, who will deliver me? You bury your child, your heart is broken. You feel like shaking your fist at God. Then in your Bible reading you come upon Mrs. Job. She left her babies in a cemetery and wanted to curse God, but we never read that she did. One man whose wife died young, leaving him with two small children to raise, was consumed with bitterness, asking God, why me? One day he read in the paper of a pastor whose wife and children were killed driving to church one Sunday morning. The pastor in tears told the reporter how he hoped God would help him carry on as a pastor. The man put the paper down and the quiet voice of God the Holy Spirit put three words into his heart. Why not me? These simple words instantly conquered his bitterness and the truth set him free. Friends, Christ died and suffered for us so that we could be reconciled to God. He made a way for us so we could be saved and that we could overcome the darkness in the world. If we repent and bow our knee before the King of the universe, our Lord Jesus Christ, you will find you're not alone, for every brother or sister in Christ is on the same road, and we will gladly link arms with you on this journey. We're all going in the same direction. Us older Christians, our armor's dented, our shields are, are chipped, our swords are chipped. You know, we've had many wounds, often in the houses of our friends. We've been betrayed and denied and, and uh, spoken about and, and had evil spoken against us. And we've had carry many wounds on this journey. But you know what? Nothing will take us off this path. We've been through the wars and we still, our eyes are still on Christ and we can, the older Christians can help the younger people that are suffering and going through many difficult things. Make sure you're in a local church. Make sure you have joined a church and that you are part of God's work today. You know, somebody said, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, that's a great place for them to be. Then they're going to hear the word of God. Lives get changed, get born again, and start again. The church is also a hospital today. We just see the wounded coming in all the time from the world. 
And we have the power of God with us. We have the armies of God with us, the resources of God behind us, the name of Jesus with us. We are able to help people. So unfurl your war banner, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. And even if sometimes the enemy seems to prevail against us, it's only for a moment and then we'll have the victory. We get knocked down, but we get up again in Jesus' name. So you are not alone. I'd like to pray for you guys in closing, those that are struggling and those that you've lost your way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Sometimes in the darkest moments of my life, when I've been utterly cut off by the enemy and feel alone and in great, even in great danger, all I've been able to do is to look to Christ and say his name over and over again. And just keep saying and keep looking to him and the darkness seems to get a lot lighter around me and the enemy's attacks break off. Sometimes I have to go down in the middle of the night when I can't sleep for stress or whatever and read my Bible till I feel better on my knees praying. And that's where I find my help, at the foot of the cross, in Christ, in his name, in his word. You need to fight with spiritual weapons against the the terrible forces of darkness in this world. Otherwise, we can't make it. I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus and go to church. We're seeing so many people not joining the churches, leaving the churches. Find a church that you can serve in. But we need to lock shields with our brothers and sisters. That's God's will for us, that we cover and love one another in the church and in the body of Christ. So let me pray for you guys. Lord, I just pray for everybody listening now, Lord, and I pray, Lord, for those that are struggling, Lord, that you would give them your name. Let them see that you have given them armor. Let them see that you've given them shields and swords to be able to fight back against whatever comes our way. No weapon formed against us shall prosper, Lord. Your word promises us that. And your word says weapons will be formed against us, but they won't prosper. So sometimes, having done all, we're going to just stand, Lord, in your presence. We're going to stand and we're going to wait for our deliverance in Jesus' name. I pray you bless everybody listening here. Strengthen them in the faith, Lord, and set your church ignited with the fire of the Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.